0: Before we head off for the Labor, Labor Day weekend, we, we were in 1 Samuel 9 and 10. So tonight, we'll be in 1 Samuel 11 and 12. 1 Samuel 11 and 12. Two weeks ago, in 1 Samuel 9 and 10, uh, we examined God's calling, anointing, and presenting of Saul as the new king of Israel. As we look forward to this fall's elections, uh, we are very concerned. <laughs> look forward, in one sense, we are very concerned for you know the the selection of our leadership and who that might be, or you know considering other offices besides just the president, as well, and who they might be. On 9/11, 15 years ago we saw what a difference relatively strong leadership can make during a time of crisis, uh, both on the presidential and mayoral levels with New York and the nation. And four years ago, four years ago today, we also witnessed, I believe, the weakness and the difference that the weakness of leadership makes on our national level in the state department in the presidency and how that can put needlessly american lives in more danger than they need to be uh... in this war on terror and in foreign countries and consulates we could argue such points politically and point to other you know failures on on both sides of the political aisle but tonight i'd like us to focus on the bible and first, first samuel 11 and 12, the principles of leadership we see here and the importance of the power of God in leadership. In 1 Samuel 11 through 12, we see four states of leadership in Israel that teach us to look to God as our source of power. We need leaders who walk in the power of God These uh, four states of leadership include the weakness, the state of weakness in which we find Israel in the opening verses of 1 Samuel 11. With a lack of God's power in the leadership of Israel. And then, the second state of Israel that we'll look at tonight, we'll see the state of God's delivering Israel by God's power in Israel's new leadership, new king. The third state of leadership we'll look at tonight will be in the opening verses of chapter 12 where we'll see the power of God, the state of Israel's leadership with the power of God leading them throughout their history in a reminder of how God had used previous leaders to lead them through his power. And then the fourth state that we'll examine tonight in the end of chapter 12 will be that of God's power over israel in holding them and their king accountable to him let's open in prayer again for the message tonight dear heavenly father i pray you'd you'd focus our hearts and i pray you'd speak clearly through your word i pray i'd be able to uh speak clearly of your word tonight pray that we would uh, apply this in in our lives in our prayer lives especially in our um, involvement in this country, as individuals in any leadership role that we play, as we are all leaders in some way, and that we should be leading people to you in the way that we live and the things that we say and the message that we bring to this world, and also leaders as parents, teachers, leaders in the church and our community, leaders in the way that we vote and participate in our society and our nation in our world pray you'd bless this message again, I pray pray you bless each one here and each one not able to be here tonight as part of this church and thank you for them. glorify yourself th- tonight through us in Jesus name I pray amen the first state of the leadership of Israel that we see again in first Samuel eleven and twelve is that of a lack of strong leadership in Israel in the opening verses of 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for reproach upon all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us 7 days respite, that we may send messengers to all the coasts of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. And then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul, and told the tidings in the ears of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. And Saul said, What aileth the people? That they weep. And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. The tidings, of course, are Nahash, the Ammonite, who's coming up and besieging Jabesh-Gilead. Jabesh-Gilead is a city located to the east of the Jordan River. They're one of... Where the, some of the tribes had chosen, rather than crossing Jordan, well, they did cross to help defeat the enemies with their men, but they would end up settling on the eastern side of Jordan rather than on the western side where God had originally uh, directed them to settle. And, and they were given that permission. But it would lead to troubles, Further troubles with those on the uh, eastern side of Jordan. As you saw in your study of, of Judges. The, uh, there were some troubles there. Some misunderstandings regarding their worship of God on that side. As opposed to on the western side. Which almost led to a great civil war. And also, often it would be those who had settled on the eastern side. Who would be the first to fall to the enemies. And you see that here in this passage. Now remember last week, the closing verses of chapter 10 showed us that not everyone accepted Saul's leadership of Israel. Saul had been chosen king by God, even though the people in asking for a king were really premature in so doing. They were demanding a king so they'd be like the other nations. And they're rebuked for that by Samuel through God. And Samuel did not just meet the demand that the people were making for a king, but he sought God's direction first. And God directed Samuel to anoint Saul to be the king. And there were some who recognized Saul as being someone who fit the role, who looked the part of a king and gladly followed him. And then others said, we will not have this man to rule over us. And you see them referred to in verse 27, the last verse of chapter 10, as children of Belial. How shall this man save us, they said. And they despised him and brought him no presents. but he held his peace. They're going to come up again in this passage by the end of it. But you see, by the end of this passage, Israel is being united and Saul's leadership, Saul's kingship is being confirmed over Israel through this circumstance but it all begins here with the situation we see in the opening verses of Israel lacking a strong leader there's no one there at Jabesh Gilead able to withstand this army and there's no other leader besides Saul at this point there is Samuel but he's not the one that is now appointed to lead Israel that's now Saul's role and especially to lead them into military battle. Although Samuel will still have a, a spiritual leadership role. Which Saul will come into conflict with. In in following chapters. However this is Saul's moment here. Where he is needed. And without him. Without him you see the gory consequences that are awaiting the men of Jabesh. And apparently they're so overpowered. You know so... Outnumbered, outmanned, uh, that as they're surrounded, they ask for terms with the Ammonites and want to make a covenant. Is what you see in the opening verses. Uh, on and this is the condition that Nahash gives Jabesh Gilead that they'd all lose their right eyes. And that would be a reproach to them in Israel. In other words, any time they'd be seen walking around anywhere in Israel or around Jabesh, Gilead, and people would see they'd lost an eye. And that everyone would know, or would come to know the reason was the Ammonites had made that covenant with them, had made them submit to their rule over them. Now, of course, Jabesh, Gilead would prefer not that it come to that, but they seem or at least indicate, perhaps they're stalling for time, and to avoid actually having to fight the battle, the Ammonites will agree to wait seven days. Seven days respite is what Jabesh Gilead asked for. And then they promise, well, if no one comes to help us defeat you, then we'll come out and do as you have said. And so they send messengers and they come to Saul in verse 4. Notice how the helpless situation, Jabesh Gilead, without a strong leader. They're actually in danger of losing their right eyes. And they're so, they're so weak that they're willing to make a covenant with their enemies. I don't think that would, be God, would have been God's will for them to make such a covenant and surrender in such a way, but to trust God to give them the victory. And to seek God's direction and how they do so. But they do seek for help. They do seek for help. But without which they are on their own in a helpless situation. But lacking the strong leadership. Notice the weeping. The weeping that we find in the final verse here. A verse, uh, of this section in verse 5. And behold Saul came after the herd out of the field. So Saul had gone back to the farm. You know, I remember in last week's, uh, now two weeks ago, when we looked at chapter 9, uh, the circumstances that brought Saul to Samuel, uh, that the circumstances God used to bring Saul was the donkeys being missing, and he's serving his father by going and searching for them. Well, he goes back to his father's fields and is back on the farm, so to speak, when he hears this news. And Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. So Saul comes to hear the weeping, the utter helplessness, the weakness that Israel is in. The state of weakness of the leadership of Israel without the power of God leading them through a strong leader. That's the first state of leadership we find in Israel in, these, in this passage, the second state of leadership of Israel in First Samuel 11 and 12 is the state of God delivering Israel by his power upon Israel's new king. Let's look at verse 6, verses 6 through 15. And the spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. And when he numbered them in in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 men, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye say unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh. And they were glad. Notice that the mood change that takes place here. They're weeping, all Israel's weeping. Now they're glad. And notice the power of God moving in Saul. Verse 6 says the Spirit of God came upon Saul. And remember, the Holy Spirit worked differently in the Old Testament than in the New Testament where now, since the day of Pentecost, we as believers, the moment we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in us, to indwell us. And then as we yield ourselves to God, he fills us and empowers us for greater ministry. In other words, it's not Saul doing these things of himself. You see the, timid, the timidness of Saul in the previous chapters when they find him hiding among the stuff. So it's not Saul himself doing this, but the power of God's Holy Spirit working through him as the instrument by which he's going to deliver the helpless people of Jabesh Gilead. And that's a good point. That it's, it's the Spirit of God that's doing this work through Saul. And and later on, he's not going to be able to use Saul because Saul disobeys God and therefore is set aside as a tool that God can use. So it's important to be surrendered to God and be obeying him so that we can be used in the way that Saul is used here in this passage. And then we see Saul, he takes, in verses 7 through 8, he takes command of the military leadership over Israel. And he demands the military participation of the men of Israel. And you see the result of that is that the fear of the Lord... Came uh, fell upon the people. You see that in verse seven, the end of the verse, it says, "And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent." Why? Because Saul took command. He took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, sent them through all Israel, and said, "If you don't come out to fight with me, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. We're going to cut them up." So they feared, they listened, and so it's important to have that strong leadership in this situation here. And in many situations of life, strong leadership is needed and through the power of God leading, working in that leader, leading his people and providing salvation. Now, this passage really is continuing the series of, of events through which God weaves this story throughout the Bible of there being sin and judgment, the people of Israel. As we're going to see in chapter 12, they've been worshipping other gods. They're allowed to be conquered. They're allowed to be sieged, come up, be oppressed by enemies. And then they repent. They turn from those idols. They cry out to God for help. And God provides his salvation. We see that th- story throughout the Bible. From the beginning and man's first sin and his need for salvation... And God's mercy and deliverance providing Jesus as a savior. So that when we repent, when we and put our faith in God and trust him, cry out to him for our salvation, he delivers. And that's what's happening here in this passage. He's going to deliver this people. And we're going to see that in chapter 12. We see the actual physical deliverance in chapter 11. And we see that deliverance explained further in chapter 12. As well as the deliverance that had taken forth. Previously, Going back to Moses and Aaron and Gideon and the other judges. So notice verse 8. Saul is in command. He numbers the men of Bezek, the children of Israel, were 3,000 men and the men of Judah 30,000. In other words, his orders were successful. The men came out. They did not want to risk having their oxen cut up. Even though there had been men we saw at the end of chapter 10 who were not all for Saul, they show up. He takes full command here. Now in verses 9, starting at verse 9. And they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye go unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, ye shall have help. So notice that Saul is projecting confidence and victory. He's projecting that and that is catching on. That attitude of we are going to defeat the enemy. The Jabesh Gilead, they get that and they're glad. You see it at the end of verse 9. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh and they were glad. Saul projects that power of God on him that is going to bring the victory. He projects that confidence and that trust that there will be help and there will be a deliverance. Verse 10. Therefore the men of Jabesh... Said, Tomorrow we come out unto you. So they're talk, speaking to the Ammonites. They're telling them they're going to come out to them. They're delaying them one more day. They don't tell the Ammonites, hey, our help is coming. So the Ammonites might attack them at that point. They said, hey, tomorrow we'll come out to you. And of course, before tomorrow, that time gets there, Saul does. Verse 11. And it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies. So we see his wise... Military leadership here by the direction of God, as, as Pastor McCore mentioned, indwelling Saul and leading him to have this effective military strategy of dividing into three groups and coming upon the Ammonites who had surrounded Jabesh Gilead. And they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of day. So I believe they're coming upon the Ammonites when they're not ready. It's a, it's a surprise and they're... In three groups in such a way that they effectively rout and destroy the Ammonites. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered. So that two of them were not left together. Two Ammonites were not left together. In verse 12, the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. So that's the men referred to at the end of chapter 10. Now you have those who are loyal to Saul Wanting them to be executed Let's look at Saul's response And Saul said they sh- There shall not a man be put to death this day For today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel In other words this would go against The grain of, of the day It would go against the, the great salvation In one day you have the joy of, And gladness Of God providing salvation When everything looked gloomy, when Jabesh Gilead were potentially either going to be destroyed or come out and make this covenant that would require them to lose their right eyes. But instead, God delivered them and gave a great victory to Israel through his power upon the leadership, upon King Saul, the new king, and united Israel under the king's leadership. But to have that joy and then have it tainted by the execution of all those um, who were, had, had been previously opposed to Saul's leadership, Saul decided that would be unwise, that would be unnecessary, and he's merciful. And that's a further way that, in which he ends up uniting all of Israel under his leadership. Not just in fear, but out of respect for Saul and his mercy in not executing those who had been previously opposed to his rule, which was a rebelling against God because God had anointed, had commanded that Saul be anointed the king. So verse 13, And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then said Samuel to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal And there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Now Saul had already been made the king, but now he's being reconfirmed. And all of Israel is now united in a way that we did not see them united at the end of chapter 10. Saul's leadership here is confirmed by God, by the power of God coming upon him as the tool that God uses to deliver Jabesh from the enemy. That is the second state of the leadership in Israel in 1 Samuel 11 and 12. The state of God delivering Israel by God's power upon Israel's new king Saul. The third state of leadership in Israel is that God, through his power, leads Israel with. All the previous leaders. And they are now going to be reminded of that history. God's leading Israel by his power through their leaders. Chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice, and all that ye said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed, And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here am I, or here I am, witness against me before the Lord, and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind my eyes therewith, and I will restore it. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. So Samuel was reminding them of how God has used his leadership to direct them and provide for them in the past. And he starts with himself, the previous leader of Israel. He submits himself to them and says, Have I been faithful? And they acknowledge that he has been faithful to them. You know, and his sons are still with them. And Samuel himself had not taken any bribes. And so Samuel reminds Israel of the faithfulness of God through their previous leadership, starting with himself. Then he goes on to give their history, going back to Moses, how God had provided through God's power upon the leadership that God directed over Israel. You'll see that in verses 6 through 11. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and they brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was come into Egypt and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them to dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord, you see that cycle of sin, judgment. And then forgiveness and deliverance. You see that cycle here referred to. Verse 9. And when they forgot the Lord their God. He sold them. There's the judgment. There's a sin. They forgot the Lord their God. They worshipped others. False gods. And he sold them. That's judgment. He sold them into the hand of Sisera. Captain of the host of Hazor. And into the hands of the Philistines. So you use different groups of enemies. To come and conquer his people and to judge them. And into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried unto the Lord. And said we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. So you see the repentance. And they asking for forgiveness. And then God gives his salvation. Again verse 10. And they cried unto the Lord and said we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. And have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord said, Sent Jerubbabel, and Beden, and Japheth, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and ye dwelled safe. So Samuel here reminds them of how God had provided their leadership. God had provided them with leadership. When they turned away from him, there was a judgment, there was oppression, there was punishment for that sin. And then when they repented and turned back, God provided a new leadership and a way of salvation and rescue. It kept them, as it ends in verse 11, that they were able to dwell safe. Samuel reminds that, points to Israel's history. And then Samuel warns. He warns the people of their responsibility to follow God. He reminds them of their failure. Let's look at verse 12. And when ye saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. So apparently part of the background that we saw going back to chapter 9 when, when the people demanded a king that they'd be like the other nations around them. That they'd be, have a king to provide military strength was part of the reason. And, and one of the excuses had been Samuel's sons had been taking bribes and they didn't trust them. They were not like Samuel. But here we see another reason given which is they saw the military threat of Nahash the king of the children of Ammon and instead of looking to God to help, they wanted a man. They wanted a king, like all the other nations had, to deliver them in battle. This is part of the reason they had asked for a king. Because they saw the military threat of the Ammonites. Let's look again at verse 12. And ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. can't state it much clearer than that. We saw that really referenced back in in chapter 9, when God told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, they rejecting God, not Samuel. Here you see that very plainly. God was their king. They were a theocracy. God was ruling through the judges directly over his people. But now that's not going to be the case. The judges and God's interaction with them directly is going to be replaced by a man acting as the king with really almost absolute authority and power and ruling in his own way now some kings would choose to follow god and in that way would provide godly leadership saul at the beginning is doing so and being the instrument the tool of god to lead the children of israel but the motivation in asking for a king was wrong it was uh undermining god's role as their king and really rejecting and rebelling against God. So Samuel points again to this as a sin, a sin that the people of Israel need to be, need to repent of. Verse 13. "Now, therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen. So Saul, Samuel says, "You demanded a king when God was your king, here's your king, and That's the king God had provided, whom ye have desired." And behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Now he warns, Samuel goes on to warn Israel of their responsibility to the king, their responsibility and their king's responsibility to follow God as conditional to be blessed by and protected by God. at verse 14. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and your king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you, and it was, as it was against your fathers. So now not only do the people have to be obedient to God and follow Him, but their king. And if they get a bad king, the whole nation is going to be held accountable and punished for that because they've chosen to follow a king. Now they are doubly responsible. Both the nation and the king have to be in submission to God and following him. Otherwise, the nation is going to be in trouble. They're not going to be have that blessing and protection from God that they would otherwise have if the nation were under him and they were under the leadership of a judge. Now the king as well must be in that submission to God. Otherwise, the nation is going to be judged. In the following verses, we're going to see God's power revealed to Israel through creation. Look at verses 15 leading up to it. Uh, Verse 16. Verse 16. Samuel's going to reveal God's power to Israel. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing, which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today... The wheat harvest today referring to the season in which there is no rain, no thunder. Verse 17. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord and he shall send thunder and rain that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord and asking you a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And the people said unto Samuel, Pray for ye thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. So you see, this is, uh, the attitude has changed now from chapter 9, where Samuel had exhorted them, rebuked them really for asking for a king, had warned them what the king, what that might mean for them. And they said, no, we want a king anyway. Give us a king. They demanded a king. Now they're realizing that they had sinned in demanding a king because God was their king. And so they're reaching the state that Samuel is wanting them and where God is wanting them to reach, a state of repentance and submission to God. Whereas in in the previous, they were just Getting God to do what they wanted. And and God did graciously do so. But it was a sin sin for them to do that. It's a sin for them to tempt God in that way. It's a sin for them to make that demand of God. And to reject God's direct leadership over their nation. And so they recognize that and repent. Having seen God's power revealed by that thunder and rain. In a time when it was not natural just as it was not natural for them to have demanded a king when they had God as their king, now it's, they have this phenomenon of the thunder and the rain revealing God's power at the prayer of Samuel. He calls it down, um, much, as, much like Elijah later on as a prophet could call down the fire from heaven. Samuel calls down the thunder and the rain as a sign of God's power. And the fear of God comes upon the people, and they repent. They ask for forgiveness here. Um, They admit that they they have sinned. So Israel fears God, you see that verse 19, and seeks reconciliation. They seek reconciliation. They say, pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And in the closing verses we see that Samuel clarifies the conditions of Israel's required faithfulness to God. He clarifies their condition for faithfulness. Verses 20-25. through And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then... Should you go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain? For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But ye, but if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. So there's a conditional blessing here where God is going to continue to lead them, continue to grant uh, his power in directing them and providing for them and protecting for them as long as they obey, they follow the Lord's commands. If they or the king does not then they 're going to be consumed verse twenty five says but notice that God has promised not to forsake them if they if they as long as they 're serving them with their whole heart they 're not turning aside from following after God to things that do not profit to deliver, and so often israel would they 'd look uh, later in their history they 'd look to other countries to help them, look to make deals and leagues, and try to get out of the trouble that they're in, in other ways other than repenting from their sins and looking to God for deliverance and salvation. So we see the theme will be continued throughout Israel's history. And we see this really an application here for us today as well, that God chose Israel as his people. And today, although the church is very different, it's separate, it's not Israel. It's not replacing Israel in entering into all the blessings and cursings that Israel had for them. We don't have land in Palestine. But we do, we are God's people as the church. We are the light of the world as Israel was supposed to be that light in the Old Testament. Uh, the church is today and is a principle here that that uh, the Lord, it, it pleased him to make Israel his people and he was going to be faithful to them. He's not going to forsake them. And of course, we're promised that in the new testament that. Uh, God will never leave us, that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, and that he'll be with us to the end of the world. We have that similar promise to what Israel had here and throughout their history. And Samuel's going to continue serving God and praying for them. He's not going to, he does not have the attitude of, no, you made your choice, you're going to have to live with it. No, he's going to pray for God, for them, on their behalf, and be that mediator and that teacher and continue to be for the rest of his days. But he reminds them of the importance that it is conditional they must continue to obey the Lord and serve him with all their heart, rather than turning aside, looking at the other nations around them, and trying to be like them or find their own way to get out of their troubles so now we 've looked at four states in the leadership leadership of Israel in 1 Samuel eleven and twelve we saw in the first state the state of their Weakness in leadership, without the power of God upon their leadership, they were weak and helpless before the enemy 's invasion, and it had been a result of, of their sin. They had demanded a king to be like the other nations, and then they needed God to deliver them and when they at the end, by the end of verse twelve, they are repentant and they ask for mercy, they see the power of God revealed to them. so that second state that we saw was that God delivered through king that he had anointed, God brought his power to the leadership and provided that deliverance. And third, we saw the difference that the power of God makes in providing decisive leadership through Saul and defeating the, the, Saul, uh, in the Ammonites. But third, we saw the faithfulness of God and his people throughout their history. Going all the way back to Moses and Aaron leading um, Israel out of Egypt. He had provided leadership. And deliverance. And protection. We see that cycle. Um, the fourth state. Uh, of their leadership. Is that condition. That, re- that accountability. That God gives his people. That if they follow him. And their leader follows God. Then they'll have the blessing. The protection of God. On their nation. But if they don't. They're, they're judged. They get oppressed. And they, they go through that cycle. Of sin. Judgment. You know, repentance and then forgiveness and deliverance that we see throughout the Bible. And so today we recognize through this passage the need for godly leadership in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in our church, in our states, and national governments. And we see the importance in, in being involved and in helping make right choices and the prayer that we need to have for our leaders and, and our local officials, our leaders in the church, uh, and just families across the nation. The need for revival, the need for spiritual, powerful, spiritual leadership in our country. So as we look ahead, instead of looking forward, look ahead to the November elections, let's keep, that, keep this in mind and strive to each of us be godly leadership be godly leaders in whatever way God has for us to be a leader whether it's example to others as a a light as someone who points and leads people to Christ an example of Christ and let us be inspired by Samuel and the faithfulness he provided in so many leaders throughout Israel's history and God's faithfulness himself as the leader ultimately of his people in this passage and in Throughout the Old Testament. Any, any comments? Any questions?